This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. Welcome to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Visit joy.org.au to find out more about our Joycasts. Good evening. It is four minutes past seven here on Joy 94.9. This is Serena. I'm joined by Matt Shulton. Good evening, sir. Good evening, Serena. Oh, how are you, love? I'm good. We should probably declare that that Matt and I are the very best of friends and Matt is filling in tonight for Pete Dillon, who is away again. Um, This is salt and pepper minus the salt and everybody who guest hosts gets to be a condiment. Do you have a choice? I would like to be, I think I'd just like to be sugar. Really? Yeah, because I'm sweet. Yeah, well, the jury's still out on that, but, um, you know, let's go with that just for shits and giggles. Um, <laughs> thank you for joining us. Um, there's there's a method to my madness in inviting you in tonight in that we are, we're talking about gay storytellers and, and you're a director and you're a writer and, 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 again, in the spirit of being transparent, you and I are working on a show together um, with La Noni. Um, we're going to talk to Bevan Lee, who created and wrote yes. um, a, a very, you know, big part of a place to call home, which is is obviously the show that Noni's in right now. He's written uh, Winners and Losers and created that and Packed to the Rafters. He and is, many other and things. And many other things, right? So Bevan Lee um, is is just a great storyteller, and he tells realistic, strong gay stories. You work in the theatre space mostly, so we're going to chat with you about sure. about you know how you see story and, mm. and the way it's represented in the media, and then Absolutely. that that speaks to another conversation we're having tonight with an, uh, an opinion writer called David McDonald, who's a, a lecturer of criminology over at the Uni of Melbourne. He posted a um, an article, a, a really just an opinion piece uh, about Howard Sattler and his interview with the PM about her allegedly having a partner that is of the homosexual faith. Well, I think interview is a strong word to use there, Serena. I would well, probably call it something else, but uh, hmm. okay. I don't know. Well, we can debate about that later sure. and then we can not talk to each other on the way home in the cab. But um, <laughs> Situation normal. We, <laughs> we are going to talk to David about the, the, the commentary that he made, which, which picked up on something that I was getting a bit cross about, which is... The media latched onto the idea of being called homosexual as an insult mm. and that it's something to be ashamed of. Yes. So I think, yes, Howard Sattler, you know, he's in his own league there in terms of what's appropriate and what's, what isn't. Mm-hmm. The media in Australia is far more culpable, in my opinion. So we're going to talk to Dave McDonald about that. Look forward to it. And then we're chatting to um, a really great friend of the Salt and Pepper family is uh, a wonderful man called Greg Adkins, who... Long-term member and board member of Joy, ninety-four point nine, and he's also the president of the South Yarra ALP. So he's going to chat through some of the shenanigans that are going on behind the scenes at the moment. Because I can't help but think that Sattler had his strings pulled, and that there is something of a little witch hunt at the moment. People are commenting about her boobs in Parliament, which well, we I, don't see. I just find the whole political discourse going on right now to be so reductive and so disinteresting, and just focused on purely on 
the way people look or a perception about their personality or th- that doesn't actually connect to the reality of what the achievements have been of the government, you know, good or bad, whatever you think about them, let's talk about those things. And where their policies are. Yeah, and let's let's focus on that and let's also focus on what the policies and the plans are for the alternative government rather than having all of this, you know, personality-driven, looks-driven conversation. It just seems completely and utterly a waste of time. Well, it certainly is, and it's it's misleading in the lead-up to the election. And what we what you've touched on, Matt, is, is that Tony Abbott is yet to declare a coalition government policy platform, what it is they intend to do. I mean, we can assume he's going to strip the, strip the gaze of all their rights. We know that's a given. Um, what else he plans to do, I don't know. Well, I think that's a problem. I think, I think it's a that's real a real problem. problem. And, you know, we'd like to hear from you more if you have questions for, for Matt or Bevan Lee, who's joining us on the line shortly. You can send us an, an SMS on 0427 JOY 949. Um, there is a landline you can call, which is 1300 JOY 949. You will be answered by the lovely Scottish Gordon. And you can send us an email on air at joy.org.au or flick us a little Twitter on, it's a tweet, on salt and pepper joy. Thanks for listening to a Joycast from Joy 94.9. Okay, Matt, I want to talk to you about Mr. Bevan Lee. Go ahead. Go ahead. Look, best known for creating TV dramas such as A Place to Call Home, uh, Packed to the Rafters and Winners and Losers. Um, you know, he's, he's actually in the past been nominated as a very influential gay man um, in, you know, that top 20, that 25 that comes out. Um, he, he's known for his creation of realistic gay and lesbian stories that kind of really resonate with the audiences. And we've been talking about gay storytelling earlier this evening. And, uh, you know, within A Place to Call Home, which is... On Sunday nights with our beloved Noni, we, there is a gay character in there called James Bly. That's right. So Bevan is kind enough to join us tonight. We have him on the phone right now. Thanks for joining us, Bevan. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Look, thank you um, for giving us your time. Look, walk us through... Um, you've got this amazing career. I can't really uh, capture it in, in a short bio. Um, <laughs> you know... When did you start out? You started out writing for Home and Away, is that right? No, no, I started out in 79. I came across from Perth to be an actor. And, you know, as an actor, I made a great writer, so I chose to write instead. <laughs> um, and then uh, I got into um, training at the Grundy organisation and training shows like The Restless Years and then script producer show called Sons and Daughters for three and a half years and then a show for, called Prisoner for a Year. And then uh, in late 80, my colleague John Holmes um, called me and said they're having trouble with the telemovie pilot of Home and Away and would I consider script doctoring it and I ended up coming in and totally rewriting it and um, sort of, yeah, then got on Home and Away and then went to Channel 9 for a long time then came back to Channel 7 and created All Saints and then Always Greener and Blah, blah, blah. I won't go through. Oh, he's so terribly modest. <laughs> wow, you've got credits, that, you know, You know, as long as you're arm. Bevan, I'm really keen to talk to you about um, the writing that you've done over the years, and we talked about this earlier today around gay storytelling. Matt, Matt yeah. is a, a theatre director. I'm a TV producer, and, and, and we're very interested in the way that you tell your stories because it feels different to other storytelling when it comes to um, the portrayal of gay living. Well, you know, um, there's some wonderful gay films um, made and I um, absorb them a lot as a viewer, but they tend to be made for people who are already rather um, simpatico with the concept of gayness and the gay lifestyle. Um, I felt 
and especially because I was employed by a, a commercial network and was employed, you know, contracted to write um, stuff that would rate as well as possible and across a broad demographic as possible, that if I was going to include gay characters in my shows, I would have to... Um, I don't know, like Mary Poppins wrapped up with a spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down. And um, so I've, I've just worked over the years to always have gay characters into my show and work to integrate them um, to be hopefully as normal a part of the landscape as possible and in my latest show, A Place Called Home, sort of be as normal, abnormally as possible within the landscape of that show because, of course, in being gay in 'Cause I think, you know, there are there are other storytellers out there that, that revert to cliched storytelling and, and what I love about a place to call home, for instance, is that you're touching on issues of bigotry and, and, and his you know, the characters struggle with his sexuality and the integration of that and, and some of those issues, you know, a lot of that's still relevant today. Well, it is, and I think the reason I wanted to do that story was to hopefully maybe by people, even perhaps people who feel less uncomfortable with the concept of of homosexuality within their own lives and around them in the current day, perhaps maybe to have them feel more for um, gay people by seeing how we were treated back then. Um, And, you know, it it was illegal and certain physical acts could lead to you being sent to jail and certainly um, the truth of who you were could put you in a position very strongly to be blackmailed. uh, you know, you, many women, many poor women were dragged into these sort of like sterile, loveless marriages um, with men who were simply using them as a blind to the world and often usually lying and, and, and deceiving the woman to use them as a blind to the world that often tie themselves to women who were just happy to find a husband. And because sexual knowledge was less back then, these poor women would be doomed to a second-rate sex life, often being made to feel um, the guilty party themselves or the rather desultory sex life that they had um, with a husband who just basically would go through the motions to um, continue the charade. So I, I hope that maybe by telling that story, and it does become pretty dark as we move further and further towards the end of the first season, that people hopefully might go, well, you know, um, those poor devils have had a pretty rough trot of it over the years. Have you encountered much criticism um, in the portrayal of James Bly and his story? Actually, none at all. Um, no, there's been no um, feedback other than people seemingly to enjoy the story. I think it's because it's told with such truth. Mm. Um, and, you know, the, question, the thing with James, too, is, you know, he, he's in this really difficult situation, as a lot of those men were, because they sort of loved the women who they um, lured into these sort of um, deceits. The, you know um, the, these deceitful marriages, and and so you know I think that people can tell that James actually does love Olivia. Um, he interestingly initially loved her because she reminded him of her brother, who he was actually in love with. Um, but increasingly, as the show goes on, um, and they do you know, conceive a child together, he makes more and more of an effort 
to um, try and make the marriage work, even as he becomes in the next number of episodes attracted to um, a, a figure from his past with whom he used sort of like as a teenager played the sort of the old you show me yours or show your mind style of teenage experimentation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, I didn't want to just do a cliched story of this tortured person who, you know, was... Um, I find it really interesting that James does love her. He just can't give her what she requires. Yeah, I, I, Bevan, it's Matt here. I think it's a really fabulous show, and I think one of the reasons it works so well is because you do right from the heart, that it's really clear that everybody is responding to what's happening and that their hearts are really connected to the whole story and that there's a lot of fear that's within the way you're yeah. telling the story as well, which is just you know fascinating but still... You know that sort of thing can still happen, and it, yeah. it's still I part of the it problem. Was a passionate, like, I'm passionate about all the stories. I'm passionate yeah. about the whole show, but that particular story. I mean, you know, I could go on about all the storylines because I, I, as a writer, sort of find it difficult. To, I can only write from the heart. I mean, yeah. I find it difficult to write if it's not coming from within me. And but that particular story, I think, came very, very deeply from my soul because, you know, I've, I've, you know, I'm 63 now, so I've lived various stages of the gay of gay history. And, you know, I've seen the sort of the liberation come and the freedom come, but I also feel that we're perched on the edge of an era where those freedoms can be taken away. And unfortunately, because our young gay generation don't have a sense of our history, they Mm. sort of don't know what we've gained, so they don't know what we can lose. And, you know, I believe there are elements of the religious right who would watch that show, place to call home, and they'd probably look at my representation of how it is for James Bond, and they go, well, oh, I yearn for the good old days, you know? Well, we could, you know, actively vilify gay people, and and I think that those... I think there is a resurgence of that that right wing mentality coming back. You've got Tony Abbott in power. You've got the religious right that heavily influences the Gillard government. I mm. I think that possibly there are grim days ahead politically, and that will inevitably trickle down and perhaps shock you and I and Matt a bit less than the younger generation. And that's not to patronise them, but it's just to say, you know what, things are actually pretty good, but it might not always be that way. Now, well, they haven't experienced it, so of course, you know. Um you know, it's the right of the young to be unempathetic. I'm sure when I was their age back in my year, I was just as unempathetic about certain things that had happened probably back in the 40s or 30s. You know, I was unempathetic about the war experience that the adults who around me had been through, but, you know, I didn't really... In a way, I'm trying to redress that a little bit now in the stories I tell about the war and, and the war damage that people carried back and were told, slapped on the back and told, get on with it, or were indeed, in fact, told by the government on the ship back, you signed a con- you signed a contract to be in the army. Now, if you tell people back there what really happened, you're going to be in trouble because you've signed the Army Secrets Act. So, you know, a lot, lot of the truth of what happened in the war to these men wasn't revealed, and they came back and lived horrors and didn't have psychologists and didn't have, you know, any therapy. So, you know, I, I think, you know, we, we do have, I, I, I think that we have sort of grim days that, that the young don't, can't really be empathetic about, but hopefully, I don't know, just by maybe getting it out there and making people see how it was back then, maybe they can um, start to think about what we do potentially lose if we are not vigilant. And also the, the what we've fought, fought for so far. Matt, you've got a question? Oh, just interestingly also, Bevan, you talk about the fact you've been writing and working in television since the late 70s, and you've been involved in a lot of very iconic, successful television programs, mm. some of which featured gay characters and you know a whole gamut of different characters. But I just wonder, is it must be... Um, refreshing for you to be able to write a, a character like James um, now that can be a, approached in an intelligent and heartfelt kind of manner that's not 
does it's not a secondary character it's not somebody who is necessarily completely defined in all his behavior by his sexuality yeah, well, you know, as I, I began the show with the quote from, you know, the first clip of L.P. Hartley's novel, we'll go between the past is a foreign country, they do things differently there. Yes. And in a way, you know, I think it's... it's when I talk about that spoonful of sugar, I think it's a bit more palatable to tell people truths when it's sort of tucked away safely in the past yes. because they're not necessarily confronted with it in, you know, their own life. but the message that might be got across. Like, I, I've never really got up on a soapbox and beaten a drum about gay issues because I think that you can probably have a greater effect on people by trickling thoughts and maybe into their minds and, in fact, getting up and sort of screaming in the face of the unconverted, you know, accept me, um, I'm fabulous, I'm gay. Yeah. Um, because they, a lot of people, because they do have, you know, some seemingly some systemic aversion to the whole concept. They just shut down and you don't get through to them. So with this story, with the character of Jonathan in, in, in Winners and Losers, I, I guess I'm just trying to say to people, how many straight people have you heard about who finally met a gay person and they sort of gone, well, actually, they're not that bad. They're actually just like us. And yeah. in a way, in a, yeah. what I'm trying to do with my shows is to do that and say to... Um, people out there, we're just your sons, we're just your daughters, we're just like you. It's just that we actually have a different biodynamic imperative. Yes, understood. I, I mean, I feel the same way too, because in my work, I don't necessarily go out and beat a drum either. Like, I'm interested in telling lots of different stories. I've, I've directed plays that tell the uh, Muslim story. I've, I've directed plays about the African experience, about the refugee experience. Mm. Um, so I, you know, first and foremost, I'm interested in telling stories, and I yeah. feel like I can, you know, I have an authority to do that, and I have authority, you know, to, to tell a whole range of different um, lives through my yeah. work. Well, I, I'm with you, but, you know, thank God for the drum beaters, because I think they've got of a course. Too, you of know, course. Larry Kramer's and people like that who of of course, and Angels about. is back on in Sydney as well, which yeah, is fantastic. It's, it's yeah, exactly. a brilliant piece of work. You know, exactly. I mean, so, you, you know, I think the drum beaters are important, but, you know, um, and maybe I would have been a drum beater if I hadn't had this silly Protestant work ethic that I've got and believe that when you sign a contract for an employer, you deliver what the employer signs you up to deliver, and that was commercial TV. So obviously a commercial TV mm. to a wide demographic audience Um I'm not in a position to, to beat my drum. That, whether you like it or not, that's um, a ratings killer. So sure. if I'm going to get messages across to a broad demographic and hopefully trickle into their mind this thought that, hey, they're just like us or those poor things haven't they been given a rough trot, I have to do it in sort of a, a more uh, subtle and restrained way than perhaps, thank goodness, people like Larry Kramer or Tony Krishna have done in, in their more... Um, shall we say, confrontative people. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I think you've really achieved that and I, I, I do think you've, you've, you've done something different again with A Place to Call Home because it's, it's a cautionary tale about, you know, those who are not understanding history are possibly doomed to repeat it. So, Well, trust me, how cautionary it is up to episode eight by the time we get to episode three, it is distinctly a more cautionary tale. Fantastic. It, it, oh. really, it really winds up as we head towards the end of the season. Well, look, we might come back to the, at you at the end of the season and, and, and chat to you again. We've been cool. chatting to Bevan Lee, creator and writer of a place to call home from Channel 7. Um, a fantastic contribution to, to storytellers worldwide. And, Bevan, thanks so much for joining us. It's, it's been great talking to you about, you know, writing from the heart. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Cheers. What a great guy. Fantastic. And, and 
you know, he has had a big impact, I think, on storytelling. People maybe maybe don't know Bevan's name if they don't look at the credits, but if they know those television programs, and he's had a huge influence and a really positive influence. And I think his strategy is the right strategy. I agree, yeah. You know, it's just about making, you know, embedding those stories within the storyline, not making a big deal about it because that's the way society needs to get. Before we go to some messages, we've had a tweet from Elliot. Um, Will and Grace is my favourite. Show me that gay people are normal people who can be successful. That's great. Hello, I'm Peter Hitchener from Nine News. You're listening to Joy 94.9. Oh, I love Peter Hitchener. He's on my man crush list. Absolutely. Yeah, for you as well. Yeah, of course. And he's very tall. When Tony we Jones. Him. No, Ooh. no, but Peter, I just want to give him a hug. Ah, okay. Let's hug it out. Sure. Anyway, look, moving on to more serious things, um, aside from our man crushes. Um, this, in the last seven days, we've seen the interview by Howard Sattler with the PM, which we're going to talk about a little bit more in detail with Greg Adkins um, later on in the show. Hmm. Um, I did come across a wonderful opinion piece written by Dr. Dave McDonald uh, for the unit from the University of Melbourne. He wrote this for the new Matilda and uh, it's 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 called um, it's, it's all around the insinuation of homosexuality being shameful and it's very long history in this cu- in this country um, we talked earlier in the show about the way the media have responded to not just Howard's questioning of the PM, which we're going to chat about later as to whether or not that's an appropriate line of questioning I think you and I might differ on that Um Right now, we've got we've got Dave on the phone to talk about the shameful behaviour of the media in in promoting the idea that homosexuality is in fact just something to be denied or ashamed of. So, good evening, Dave. Thanks for joining us. No worries. Thanks for having me. Hi, Dave. Tell us what prompted you to write this um, this article. Well, I'm generally interested in politics, and I guess I followed uh, the interview quite closely and the reception that it received um, late last week, and was quite struck by, um, you know, the, the the uniform condemnation that it seemed to receive, particularly in terms of the sexist nature of the speech, which I certainly agree with. Um, I think it's hard to envisage a male prime minister, no less a, a married male prime minister, being um, subject to the same sorts of questions, and. So so on that basis, the the the, the, the interview, sorry, was um, was I think rightly condemned as quite sexist. But I think that that only told part of the story, and the other part of the story was about the homophobic nature of the question. So obviously, it's not surprising to think that, or, or, or uh, to. Uh, it's not surprising to see or to understand um, the reduction of homosexuality with um, hairdressing as being homophobic. But for me, what, what, what troubled me, I guess, was the idea that there's something humiliating about being uh, uh, questioned um, in terms of your sexual orientation or to be accused as, uh, of being homosexual. And I think that there's quite a long and shameful history about um, the humiliation that's said to underscore similar accusations. And that, I guess that's the point of view that, that I was trying to come to the issue with. Well, I think you touched on something very important, I think, in terms of what's the broader code of conduct for the media in Australia and probably worldwide if, if you know, if this goes further than it, mm-hmm. than it probably should. Um, it, it talks, it, it speaks to me about the code of conduct that, that as media makers we have an obligation to not really engage in this type of commentary. And it seems like... Every major publication picked it up and ran with it and just completely missed the fact that they promoted the idea that, you know, it's something to be ashamed of. And I think Julia promoted that as well. Um, 
I'm not sure I, I entirely agree with you in the sense that, uh, firstly, I'm not sure if it's the role or the, the onus is on media here. The point I was trying to make is that this, that this history of um, the collapse between homosexuality and humiliation um, isn't, it can't just be relegated to media, but it's also um, bound up within, uh, with law. Um, in terms of the homosexual advance defence and this idea that, that, that heterosexual men who are um, subject to an advance by, by gay men uh, feel humiliated by that and that the law has justified or partially exonerated um, acts of lethal violence by these individuals. So um, uh, I don't doubt that the media plays, plays a role here, but I also think there's a broader role um, and a broader cultural issue that needs to be recognised. Um, and that is really, I guess, the, the the idea that to be accused of or to be in simulation of homosexuality is something that is humiliating. And uh, there's, there's value, I think, and an import in challenging that assumption. I, I probably agree with what you're saying, um, absolutely. I think also that it's hard for us to really gauge what the Prime Minister said in response because she is so censored by the media that all I saw from her, and I haven't followed this as closely as I probably should have, but all I saw from her was a fairly quick grab where she was just kind of trying to dismiss the whole thing, just trying to sort of say, look, sure. this is not what I want to talk about. But I you know, I think that both both ends of that problem are massive, that, that you know, there is the sexism and there is the clear homophobia and the media, the, uh, not all the media, but the mainstream media, the media that's, you know, I think kind of skewing itself towards the possibility of the Prime Minister no longer being the Prime Minister after this 14th of September, are uh, very much happy for any kind of attempt by any person, whether they're a media uh, person, or if there, you know, anybody in the in the community that wants to attack the prime minister, seems to be able to get themselves into the newspaper. I mean, there was the that awful thing of Julia that was like the the dog treat thing about her. Like, there's all these things going on that are just appalling. I think it's, uh, it's a bit of a witch hunt. I think it, it is. is a witch and, hunt. You know, and I do understand though completely that, that most of the media missed the whole idea that. You know that it was called a slur. There was a gay a slur, a gay slur against Tim, and I just think it's, you know, it's just disappointing. Well, there's worse things in life than being well, asked whether or not you're gay. No, no, I, I, I certainly agree with you, but I think there's a risk in placing um, too much emphasis upon how the prime minister responded or how she should have responded. Mm. Personally, I thought that she dealt with the questions. Um, uh, quite well, given this was an almost unprecedented intrusion yeah. into her, her private life. I don't think that we should be sort of um, critiquing how she responded. I think we should be talking about the questions themselves. I agree with you. I agree. And how illegitimate those questions were. Um, I do think that that, uh, the, that this Prime Minister is under unprecedented pressure and scrutiny. Um, and, and in a sense, she couldn't win regardless of how she responded to those questions. And I think that the the, the commentators who have responded to, to you emphasising the sexism that underpinned those questions um, were, were, were spot on, really. But I do think that there's something to be said about the homophobic nature of the questions. And and I guess my point in uh, is is in thinking about who are the victims here. Then then I think that the prime minister and her partner are certainly victims. But I I also think the homophobic logic that underpins this has a broader implication, that it impacts upon um, all people who 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 sort of 
uh, I guess, sort of constitutes sexual difference, if you like. Um, and so rather than simply see this as a sexist, sexist and humili- humiliating attack on the Prime Minister and her partner, that uh, I think that we're better placed recognising or, 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 or taking into consideration how, how demeaning this is more broadly, um, how it demeans gay and lesbian people more broadly, rather than simply see it as humiliating to the Prime Minister or to her heterosexual partner um, and thinking about um, a, a heterosexual man um, as being, you know, the insinuation of him as being gay as being something that's humiliating. Because uh, I guess my key point is that... Um, you know, that homosexuality is not something that needs to be conceived of as being humiliating. We know that. Look, um, Dave, where can people read this this great piece that you wrote for New Matilda? Uh, it's online on New Matilda. I don't, I can't provide more details up than that off the top of my head, but um, I can send through a link or something if you like. Oh, that's great. Look, we've been chatting to Dr Dave McDonald from the University of Melbourne who wrote a fantastic piece on you, Matilda, about the, um, humiliation and homosexuality. Thank you so much for your for your candour tonight and you, you draw a sharper focus onto, onto the debate that's unfolding in this show tonight and we appreciate that. Thank you so My much. Pleasure. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Take Dave. care. Thank you. What a cool guy. Absolutely. And I, you know, I just don't understand any of this business, really. I just, it just makes me... Very depressed to think that this is the again, as I said earlier in the show, this is the level of discourse that we're having. I mean, uh, regardless of whatever sexual orientation anybody is, it's just got nothing to do with running the gov- running the country. It's it got doesn't. nothing and, and- to do with. Uh, it, it's just it is seen as you know again. Unfortunately, I do agree with Dave that it's an easy target to go. Well, obviously, he's he's. A hairdresser, therefore, there's got to be something wrong with that. That there is a, you know, a suggestion that the masculinity of that position, or that, that he's somehow, you know, he's less than. There's something and because, wrong, be, and that could be that he's gay. And, and because he's me, less like, less than, that must mean that he's a homosexual. I just yeah. think. I also think you know people are really defending Julia and, and promoting her as a victim. I think she missed an opportunity there to to go. You know what? That's. I mean, she she put him on notice, and that's mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. But I also think um, she had an opportunity to reframe it to kind of uh, kind of own it a bit differently. And you know, well, you know, if he was I gay, do, you know, well, you know, how would there are worse things in life than being gay? I think that's all she had I to say. I understand absolutely. I just think also that she's probably so completely taken aback by such a ridiculous question, and she is under a lot of pressure, and she is only human. I think people forget that as well. But she's also paid a tremendous amount of money to run the country and tolerate that Understood. pressure. Understood. So, so you we know. don't have to agree. Yeah, I agree. that's okay. We'll I agree, agree to, to disagree. Beautiful job here. You're listening to Joy ninety four point nine, idiot. I don't mind a bit of Ethel. I love Ethel. Do and you? My partner actually thinks she's hilarious. So really? He does. Oh so. gosh. Oh, we should probably say hello to the lovely Shane. Are we allowed to do a little? We can do cheerio. a shout out. Do you oh. want to say hello to, to your love? I would like to say hello to Shane. Hi, Shane. Hi, Shane. And you've just celebrated ten years together as we have. Um, in, as in, in Let's just tell everybody. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. Yeah, he's he's a uh, beautiful and amazing. He is a beautiful and an incredibly amazing creature. We are coming up to 13 minutes to 8. You're on Joy 94.9. We would love to hear from you. You can send us an SMS on 0427 Joy 949. You can uh, ring the lovely Gordon on 1300 Joy 949. Send us an email on air at joy.org.au. You can flick us a little tweet, salt, n, pepper, joy. Well, 
you know, I just want to change gears a bit now. I want to play the audio um, of Sattler interviewing La Gillard, oh. and then we're going to chat to Grey Adkins. Okay? okay, so let's let's play that audio first. Play that funky music, mm. and then we'll come back and chat. Something funky. Miss rumours, snide jokes, and innuendos. You've been the butt of them many times. Well, I think that's probably right. We've certainly seen that this week. Can I test a few out? In what way? Tim's gay. Well, of course. No, that's not me saying it. That's a myth. Well, that's absurd. Yeah, but you, you hear it. He must be gay. He's a hairdresser. Oh, well, isn't that... You've heard, but you've heard it. But, uh, it's not me saying it. It's what people... Well, I mean, Howard, I don't know whether uh, every uh, uh, silly thing that gets said is going to be repeated to me now. No, no, no. But, but uh, you know, to all the hairdressers out there, yeah, including including the men who are listening, I don't think in life one can actually look at a whole profession full of different human beings and say, gee, we know something about every one of those human beings. I mean, it's absurd. Isn't you can it? confirm that he's not. Oh, how? Don't be ridiculous. Of no, but course in not. In a heterosexual relationship, that's all I'm asking. Well, how? You and I have just talked about that, so now that is bordering. I wanted, I wanted, Howard, uh, just let's. I just, know. I wanted to let, get let me, let me just uh, let me just bring you back to earth. Um, I'm, I'm not saying it. Right. Well, uh, let me just bring you back to earth. You and I have just talked about me and Tim living at the lodge. Yep. We live there together as a couple. You know that. Yes, uh, on the internet. You know, there are lots of, you know, um, what I've referred to in the past as nut jobs, and I'm happy to use the expression again, uh, people who peddle and circulate vile and offensive things. Awful things. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that was uh, Julia Gillard being interviewed by Howard Sattler last week. So, you know, last week, obviously, we saw another attack on the PM as part of what seems to be the witch hunt that we've just talked about with Dave MacDonald. Um, joining us to talk through the implications of this is our long-term friend of uh, Salt and Pepper, Greg Adkins, who's a journalist, a long-time member, broadcaster and current board member of Joy 94.9. He's also a former ministerial advisor and president of the South Yarra branch of the ALP. He's a dyed-in-the-wool Labor man. Greg, thanks for joining us. Is this a is this a PR nightmare for the PM? Do you know what? I, I take all that off from what you told them about me and put on my journalist hat. I'm a member of the MEAA and I'm a little bit disgusted by um, people like Howard Sattler. And then on Sunday, Piers Ackerman and their behaviour in, um, in talking about the Prime Minister's relationship as being a lie. That's basically what she had to defend was the accusation that she was living a lie with her relationship. What, because he's allegedly a homosexual? Yeah, exactly right. They're implying that... If he's, if he's gay, then you're living a lie. It's that dual liar stuff come all over again. It's the, the link right back to um, all that stuff the Liberal Party connections have been putting about her being a liar and which burn her and all that, all that sexist trap that's been going on for the last few years. Do you believe that this is, um, that the Howard Sattlers of the world and the Alan Joneses of the world, do you believe that there's a bigger plan here at a media level to topple her? The media level toppling of Gillard's coming by um, the lack of oxygen around what they're doing. I mean, all this furor about about leadership. No one in the Labor Party has been pushing a leadership. Rudd lost out a few months ago, and there's there's no hint that he's going to run again. It's about accusations that there might be a a, a push on the on the leadership, and then the media reporting about the accusations that they've actually created. It's the, the classic snake eating its tail, and it's the media loop. Where in that is management of 
places like Fairfax, that's the question. How involved are they? If you look at Murdoch, how involved are they in allowing that freedom for their journalists to not check facts or to run, run a line that hasn't been passed through sources and confirmed as being true? Well, I want to pick up on that with you. We've just been chatting to Dave McDonald, who wrote a really interesting piece around, um, you know, the, the, the idea that being asked if, you're, if your partner is gay, that it was, you know, somehow humiliating and shameful. It opens up a broader dialogue around, you know, whether or not these questions are okay, for one, and they clearly aren't. And secondly, you know, what does it mean when those sorts of questions are thrown out as though they're an insult? And and what's the media's culpability in picking that up and running with it and promoting it as as dogma? Well, first things first, you've got to say that a victim is never to blame. In this case, Julia's been doubly victimised. She's, is a sexist comment implying that she's her husband's gay or partner's gay and therefore she's living in a lie. And the second one is it's the slur on using a, an attribute that people have. Some hairdressers are gay, but they're saying all hairdressers will be gay if they're a hairdresser because of that fact, they're hairdressers. So it's a, a double slur. Victims are never to blame. And your, uh, Dave McDonald, your caller before, talked about the homophobia underpinning. And, um, how can people in this day and age allow a discussion like this and not then talk about the underlying homophobia, because Dave McDonald's one of the few people that's come out and talked about the homophobia behind Sattler's points of view. So, I mean, there's much discussion about the wellness of Howard Sattler, because we know that he has Parkinson's, and, you know, Parkinson's has some cognitive deficits that that go along with it. Um, People are saying that he's not culpable. Others are saying that he that he is, um, you know, he's prefaced those questions. I'm playing devil's advocate here. He's prefaced those questions saying, you know, I'm asking this question based on blah, 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 you know, constituents or people ringing in. Was it still inappropriate for him to pursue that line of questioning with the Prime Minister? The moment she pulled him up on it the first time, that was the line. And he crossed it again and he crossed it again. He continued to cross it. And even, in fact, when he's questioned a few days later after... Fairfax through the 6PR management sacked him. He then continued to question it. In fact, his his mates now have a Facebook page called Bring Back Howard Sattler. Yeah, the of course they do. That's the boys' club. Hmm. But that's the thing. Like, I think absolutely there was a line and he crossed it and he kept going and going there. And to also to say things like, well, people want to know, you know, people have said this to me. It's a really old and tried way of just putting, you know, falsehoods and stories out there when he you know, didn't just step up and say, well, I want to ask this question because that's actually really what was going on. And clearly post this, by not apologising, by not taking responsibility for it, he's clearly you know, culpable for that. And this is the link back to the Liberal Party's yeah. campaign because they've, on the leadership, they've been saying, people have said this to me, but never naming the people. Yeah. And then they go back and whip it around and then they have a conversation and they flush out over the weekend two, two backbenchers that were always rug, rud supporters and they became the faceless people that were saying what the media had previously said people were saying to them. Because I feel like a lot of this information is now out there being planted. This is one of the dirtiest campaigns we've seen at an election level in a really long time. And, of course, the, the problem is then that people start to believe this stuff, that people start to take this on board as fact. They start to believe that this is the actual reality because, you know, people do still trust media to, to present facts, strangely. Well, if you, if you look at the, the English... Conserv- 
Conservative Party's campaign in the election that saw the change of government there, and you look at the attempt that uh, tried to get the Republicans into the power in America, mm. some of these campaign strategies are identical. And I'd put it to you, it's maybe more than coincidence that some of the Liberal Party people were involved in both those campaigns. Yes. And they're back here in Australia driving campaign strategy. Mm. Yes. Watch this space. Hey, Greg Atkins, president of the South Yarra branch of the ALP and journo and fond friend and member of Joy 94.9. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We appreciated your wisdom on this from journo and political perspectives. Take care. Bye. It's four minutes to eight. We're just about to wrap up and make way for Lefty Pinkos. You can find more Joycasts and show blogs. Go to joy.org.au. Matt Sheldon, it's time to go. Already? It's gone so fast. What's happened? Well, look, we just had far too much fun. We need to thank Bevan Lee for his wisdom as a gay gay storyteller and as just a generally good guy um, for joining us tonight. Dave McDonald from the U of Melbourne. Uh, Greg Adkins, just an absolute favourite of our show. And yourself for co-hosting. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. I've had a really good time. And we had the very gorgeous Matt Thompson managing our social media tonight. You three Matts in this room. An absolute star. And then we have Matt Knock, who's singing along. He's lip syncing right now. <laughs> and um, it's the only time I see him smile is when we play this song. So we're creeping up to 8pm. Have a great week. We'll see you next week for Salt and Pepper's final show Ooh. ever. Good night. Good night. is a GLBTIQ community radio station in Melbourne, Australia. Support Joy 94.9 by becoming a member at joy.org.au. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.